Get ready to be inspired. Today I have Melissa Oland of Ojo Interiors here in the Minneapolis area on the podcast. I am so excited to have this conversation with her. We dive into how she juggles small business and motherhood, how she pivoted from one business to the next, starting out in the corporate world, and she shares her fertility journey and the struggles within that. This interview is really powerful and I'm just so excited for you to hear it. Let's dive in. You're listening to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast, where we invite you to check your ego at the app, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to dive into all things real estate marketing, social media, friendship, hardship, love, money mindset, and all the things that celebrate you as a badass boss babe. We're here to encourage you, show up for you, give you a loving kick in the pants when you need it most, and be your soft place to land on the hardest of days. So pull up a seat at our table and get ready to be inspired and start living your best life by design. Welcome to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. We are so excited you're here. Okay, girls, let's dive in. Okay, Best Friend Faves, I have Melissa Olent of Ojo Interiors here today with me. I'm so excited for this interview. Let me just tell you a little bit about her. She, her and I met when we were both in the photography world, and she was voted one of Brides Magazine's best photographers in the world. I kid you not, this woman is talented. She's going to share with us how she took the pivot from the corporate world into small business and then into another small business, how she juggles marriage, motherhood, and all things interior design and small business, her fertility journey, and the mental health awareness around it. Welcome to the show, Melissa. I'm so excited to have you here and see your face. I'm so so excited to see yours too. So we go back like how many years? Like I think we decided eight, right? But like that's just when you photographed our wedding. Right. We go back to the photo days. Yeah. So minimum, I mean, I feel like minimum 10 years, right? Yeah. Minimum of 10 years. Yeah. Um, and you have been like with us through some of our biggest moments. I'm just going to kind of get emotional here for a second. Do it. Do it. Uh, (laughs) Melissa. So we started, we both met, we both met when we were in photography with our photography businesses and in a photography group. And I just have always adored her so much. Like being in her presence, like I wish you could all be here right now because she just like makes you feel good. Like you're being hugged just by being around her. Also, she hugs, which is nice. Um, (laughs) I love it. But she photographed um, our wedding. We eloped in Mexico, Ryan and I, and you went there with us, photographed our wedding and you have photographed Kaya up until you, you know, pivoted your businesses and you've just been such a great human in my life. So I'm just like so excited to have you here. Um, And that's a little bit about how we know each other. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm thrilled to be here. It is such an honor, first of all, to be here because like we talked about, it's the first time I've been on a podcast, which feels weird, but also very cool. It's awesome. Uh, But also just to be with you in general, especially after so many years of kind of being apart, forced by, you know, life circumstances, but yeah. also my abandonment of, <laughs> of photography <laughs> itself. Sorry. Um, but so let me tell you a little bit about myself, I guess. Uh, my name is Melissa Olent. I am the principal designer at Oho Interiors, um, which has been in existence since 2019. 
Uh, but I also am married, have been married to the love of my life for almost 17 years, and I am 38, so please don't do that math. <laughs> please. Um, and then we have a three-year-old daughter named Rowan who, you know, is the love of my life and also filled with all of my sass, so that's fun. Um, and then we have a dog named Charlie, and basically there is nothing else in my life besides <laughs> those things, but... Such as I life. love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. I have so many awesome questions for you, and I just I'm just really thrilled to do this interview. So I'm gonna dive right in if you're okay with that. Cause I think it's Perfect. gonna get a little bit long. Love it. Love, love it. Love it. Okay, so we've known each other for such a long time, and something that I find so inspiring about you is you took a successful corporate career and pivoted into a booming business, photography. Yeah. And then you transitioned into another successful small business, interior designs. So you actually had the courage to take this leap and you did it twice. Sure. And this is not easy. No. It's just not. So can you share a little bit more about this and how you were actually able to do it? Yeah. Yes. So I think there are multiple things at play, but like, let's talk about the first sort of corporate to photography switch. Um, That was probably one of the more groundbreaking changes in my life just as a young, you know, mid 20 something person changing from corporate to a entrepreneurship life is an intense change it, it um, it's it's big it it's is really huge. Big, yes. it's huge but i think that my age combined with some of the other factors that were going on in my life one being that my husband at the, my husband at the time my husband <laughs> had a steady job and a steady paycheck and steady healthcare that i didn't have to worry about those things so i got to make that leap without having sort of the fears of maybe someone who is might be doing it on their own or someone who might not have that safety net under them. Um, so maybe less courage on that one and more blind luck for that one. Um, but I think the what happened when I needed to um, make that switch is that I was finding that photography was really taking over my life and I wasn't dedicating enough time to either thing in my life. So it really needed to be, I had to find a focus and I had to, you know, photography was my path forward for that. Um, The switch from photography to interior design definitely had a lot to do with life circumstances. Um, I kind of affectionately refer to 2016 as like the worst year of my life, period. (laughs) Um, And putting that in context with like everything else that's going on in life, that is, that was a, that was the worst year of my life. Like my grandfather died, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and had to have major surgery. And that was also the year we found out we couldn't have biological kids. And every, you know, as a wedding photographer, you're sort of contractually obligated to show up and be a part of someone's day, no matter what's going on in your life. And all of those things kind of coincided at the same time. You know, like I got the call, my grandfather was going into hospice 30 minutes before I had to shoot a wedding. And oh my gosh. got the call that we couldn't have biological kids three days before I had to shoot like the biggest, most expensive, most pressure-filled wedding of my life. So it, you know, those things, it made it very clear that that is not a sustainable business model that if I have to always be the person to show up and do the job. So at that point, that started like a two-year kickoff of basically being as introspective as possible to try and figure out where I wanted to land from a career perspective. Interior design like wasn't necessarily front of mind for me, which is ironic. Um, in a lot of ways, I started going to school, college for interior design. 
Um, never ended up getting a degree in interior design due to a whole bunch of things, but mainly a, a conversation with a professor that was, <laughs> it was well-meaning, but it scared the pants off of me just because 2000, 2001 was a different design industry than it is now. So interior design, I've always loved it, but it never felt like the natural next step for me. Um, so I explored like being a floral designer. I explored real estate, like <laughs> explored a bunch of things. But what I kind of had to understand was that I needed a business that I could eventually scale where I wasn't going to be the main person that had to show up and do the job always, because that's just not how life would go for me. Um, so eventually interior design kind of worked its way into my subconscious and it kind of became a, I'll, I'll just try this on the side. I'll just see what happens. And then in 2019, as I had decided to not take any more weddings or any more clients, it was sort of like do or die. And I essentially said, I'm going to give it a year. I'm going to give it a year, see if design takes off. And if not, I'm going to go back to a corporate job because I don't know what my skill set is beyond, you know, running a business which is not nothing, right? Not, you know, that skill set is vast. But um, once I made that call in mid-2019 and started the business, immediately I had clients. And then March 2020 rolls around into the pandemic and everyone has a focus on their house. So the business oh, itself. You know, I didn't even think about that until you just said that. Yeah. 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 It, oh, wow. It wow. was transformational for the business and it it blew up in a, in a, in a perfect way, um, in an overwhelming way. But that was, it made it very clear that interior design was the path forward for me. So, yeah. Wow. That, no, that's, that's great. Yeah, like that was a lot. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. So you started, just to kind of go back to like social a little bit, you had the page Oho House. Yep. A little bit earlier that you kind of, yeah. is that because, did you kind of do that thinking like, maybe I'll dabble into this someday, so let me kind of see where this goes? Or did you have any intention behind that when you when you started posting? No, I had absolutely no intention of like okay. that being anything more than just documenting our like mishaps, essentially. Mishaps okay. in home renovation. And what kind of developed from there is that I just basically got it some sort of following that liked the home aspect part of it. So the transition into interior design was a really natural one for that audience fit, but it was never, you know, I had had that for years. I mean, yeah. even while I was doing photography years prior. So it's so you know. interesting. Like if you think um, the woo side of this or like the universe showing up, like right? it really, once you allowed it to kind of come in. Yeah, exactly. It, it really did. Yeah. And it, you had already put the, the pieces in place to kind of start it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, It you know, looking back at, things in life, you know, always, it always feels like there's a lead up to like, oh, well, that's why I went through that one thing because it taught me this skill set that now I need and use every day. But that is, social media is a huge piece of it because I do think that that played a massive part in my success in design currently is because I did have a following and I had a, some sort of portfolio, though it was my own house, but a portfolio to show people a what I can portfolio. do. Yes, well, stunning at that. It's, well, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> wow, that's incredible and such a long journey, but like amazing yeah. where where you ended up here and like who knows where it'll go. I know, yes, right? Knows? I know, I know. So you kind of chatted about 
the transition of, of why you transitioned from photography to interior design, like really personal, personal reasons based. And can you touch a little bit more on that and, and the, what the process looked like? And also, what did the process look like from when you transitioned from corporate to photography? Because right. it wasn't just like the next day you're doing it, right? There sure. was like a process that you went through. I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. So let me start with photography to interior design just because that is the most recent thing. And, <laughs> sure. you know, that's what happened soonest or most recent. The The process for me was essentially determining a date that I was going to be transitioning and knowing that, like, no matter how many people kind of came and said, would, but would, would you photograph this wedding or would you do this thing? Like, I needed, I needed it to be a clean break. So... For me, that I actually had ended up booking a wedding for um, New Year's Eve on 2019 to 20, you know, New Year's Eve of 2020. So that was my easy cut date of saying, like, this is when the photography business was going to end. But I had such good processes in place that I had basically outsourced the majority of my editing. The I had outsourced a lot of the things that I was doing day to day or gotten very, very efficient at it. So I actually had a lot of extra time in 2019 to be able to take up interior design projects. And what that looked like for me, because, you know, most people who are strangers aren't going to hire someone who has <laughs> no experience in interior design, um, is that I just asked friends and said, like, are, are any of you going through a remodel or does anyone want to refresh their room and their family room or whatever? Um, and I had a lot of willing friends who were who who were able to allow me to assist them with that. Um, and there is, you know, with any position in any industry, there's the adage of of like you can't understand the industry until you're in it. And I think interior design is especially like that um, because there are so many subsects of like, will you just be a um, will you be just be doing furnishings or will you be doing like full scale remodels or things like that? So getting my toes wet was a really, really helpful and useful thing to do during 2019. And then by the end of 2019, I had my first paying client. Um, and that's that, great. That's quick. Yeah. You know, like that's really quick. It, thank yeah. you. It did not feel quick. It <laughs> felt like it was taking forever. Um, but it, by then I had my first paying client and kind of had my feet wet. I knew what I was doing. I knew like trade accounts and things like that. Um, and then it really just got to scale from there. After that, it kind of snowballed in a really authentic way. But one of the main ways that I capitalized on my social media following was to post about those things, to show what I was doing, to put it out there that this was this new thing I was doing and I wasn't going to be doing photography anymore. And I think that that piece of it was a really important and crucial piece of how my business was able to grow as quickly as it was. It's because I was willing to be vulnerable and share those things and share mishaps online. Um, from corporate life to photography, that was very much, you know, that wasn't as clean of a break. That was very much, I was working as much as I possibly could you know, working daytime hours during my corporate job and then going home and either photographing or editing or doing all of those things. And it got to the point where it felt like this is not the life I want to lead. I don't, you know, that was even before we had children or a child. But for me, that was very much a process of understanding sort of my bandwidth and knowing that like I needed to have more hours to grow my photography business the way that I wanted to. And so telling my employer I'm going, you know, I'm going to leave and I'm just going to hope that the business is there. That was very much my process in photography. So it was it was a blind leap and and luck and 
not smart. Not smart. Don't that, do that. It, is it is it not smart though? Because if you think if you think if all the signs are there and I'm honoring myself, I'm honoring my marriage. Yeah. I'm gonna show up for myself and I'm actually going to do something that I truly want to do and give it my all. Yeah. If you don't take that leap all the way in, it's true. Like you have to lose sight of the shore, right? It's like yeah. that sort of oh, yeah. thing. So yeah. not smart, but successful. Yeah. And, and a great a great decision. Well, and I think a lot of it too, especially is listening to those inner voices inside your body that are just saying like, this is, you know, this is not, finance is not the path for you. Like that was screaming in my ear 24-7 for that. And I knew, I knew I had the skill set to be an entrepreneur. I knew that I could, I was type A enough. I was organizationally driven. I knew I could do that side of the business the creative side of it, the photography side is what scared me the most, Um, which, you know, even running a business now, like I can run a business. The creative side of it is what is what scares me the most. So that's, I think, like understanding and honoring those voices that say like, you can do this, you have this handled and don't let fear get that, you know, have the final say, right? That's actually really powerful. Thank to be you. in that place and to well, listen to you. it, especially in your 20s. Are you kidding me? Like, I, yeah. I wasn't listening to that voice in my 20s. That's amazing. Yeah, I think, you know, I there's uh, there's a lot of inner work that kind of happens in the in-between of all of this, right? Like, yeah. understanding who you are as a human and how different we are as humans, just person to person. But, like, one of my core strengths is listening, is being always self-analytical and listening to those voices inside my head. That <laughs> made me sound a little crazy when I say it like that, but always listening to that inner voice, that's something that has always been a really strong part of my personality. And I know for other people, it takes some personal development to get to that point. Sure, so, yeah. sure. I have a, a question here about the photography that I don't think I've ever asked you. Yeah. I'm curious. Oh. Are you self-taught? So you talk about doing that like when you're in the corporate world. Yeah. Did you teach yourself most I did. of that? Okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah, what... Um. What ended up happening is my dad always, he was a hobby photographer. So there were always cameras around. My mom's always the person who was like, let's take pictures. And I think it was like one trip out. They lived on the East Coast. They lived um, at that time near DC. Uh, and so I just picked up one of his old film cameras. We went to DC. We went to the the 9-11 museum. And I just basically took a bunch of pictures, not knowing anything about cameras. It was a fully manual camera. There's no world in which any of these photos should have turned out. (laughs) But there were out of, you know, unfortunately out of a roll of like 36, there were probably maybe three photos that were actually in focus and and well exposed. And it ignited something inside of me that was like, okay, so I like, I, I have never felt like a creative ever, ever in my life. And to feel like I had some creative impulses that felt so powerful to me to that I wanted to pursue. So then just, you know, naturally going around and taking pictures at the sculpture garden and then eventually someone asking a friend, asking if they could be in front of my camera. Like that's very much how my photography business started. It's very organic and yeah, completely self-taught, completely self-taught. This is truly amazing and that you didn't see yourself as a creative because I'm just going to like say this because it's the reality. She oh, no. is so talented. Melissa's photography, like we... <laughs> I'm sweating right now. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's so good. It's just beyond good. And like if they go check you out on Instagram, now they'll see your interiors, yeah. which are beautiful. But her work with other people, like you're, you know, getting that human connection, it's really special. 
that really honestly. honestly. So that's really cool to hear because I I don't think I knew that story. Yeah, yeah. I yeah I probably kept it pretty under under lock and key just because I <laughs> I you know while while as I mentioned like having being always self analytical always comes with that that voice inside my head that like inner critic that is always always chirping in my ear. So I, I have, I've never, I really struggle with imposter syndrome, always have really struggled with imposter syndrome and really did with photography and probably was not as vulnerable as I could have been in sharing my story that way because it, it just felt like, well, then people won't view me as legitimate. And I still struggle with that with design, but that is, I think that's probably why I never told anyone that. Imposter syndrome is a beast and it shows it up and we've talked about it quite a bit on the show actually yeah. and in this community as well and it's just like learning how to sit with it like it's probably not going to go away yeah and learning 100%. to sit with it and still work through it which you've done yes which is awesome. Also, um, amazing that like when you photographed us or me in particular, like my imposter syndrome goes away because she gets every best angle. Like, let's just say that right there. (laughs) Every best angle. I'm like, oh, I do look good. Like, oh, I can do this. I can do anything. So that that was an incredible piece too. I love that. Okay. So I have a kind of a fun question for you. Okay. How the heck do you keep like your sanity and like your wits about you <laughs> when you're managing clients and your own home remodel? Yeah. You're re- renovating a 1940s home, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So like, how do you do that? Yeah. Manage life, motherhood, marriage, your interior design business and not lose your mind. I, I just, yeah. I would love to know. <laughs> I'm like sitting back with my beverage here and I'm going to listen. <laughs> Well, I don't. <laughs> I do not have it all together. I feel very much like the analogy of the duck, you know, gliding gracefully along the lake who is like furiously pad- paddling for their life underneath the surface. Like that is me. I am furiously paddling for my life under the surface. But I I got some really good advice really early on, like really, really early on in my career, like, you know, 15 plus years ago that work-life balance is a bit of a farce. Like, and, and maybe maybe this is going to be really I agree controversial. 100%, okay. Melissa, 100%. Okay, good. Yeah, that's, I, and I think that for me, that looks like I am always strategizing and analyzing areas of my life that can give at any given moment. So sometimes we go weeks without addressing any, any sort of home renovation things because we just don't have time. Or analyzing if Matt has the emotional and physical bandwidth to take on more of the household duties or more of the parenting because of, you know, my workload feels really heavy. Or even just understanding, like, some things for client, you know, requests don't have to be turned around in 24 hours. Sometimes those things can wait. So I'm constantly playing that, you know, that game of, like, which can give right now because there is no world in which I can do that all you know, myself and do it well. And I do constantly, routinely have emotional, essentially what are emotional like releases where I have to acknowledge that I'm not doing as well as I think I am. Um, But those, I think those are necessary because those sort of reset that like pressure. It's like a pressure cooker. Like I have to release something. Um, And for me, it's usually an emotional release. And for me, it usually involves a lot of crying and snot going down my face and it's beautiful. Um, But I like that is a necessary part of who I am. So I have a dear friend, Allison Burns of Ellen Marie Design, who I've mentioned on here before. And she says like finding harmony. Yeah. And so like balance is 
I believe it's a joke. I don't think, I think every season has like yeah. different things that you're going to be required to do or where you need to show up. And so like she says, she tries to find harmony. And I've sort of like hung on to that word because I think it mm. really, it feels right. Yeah. You're just trying to figure out how to flow your yes. life to flow with as like minimal total breakdowns as possible. At yes. least that's kind of my goal. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly. Well, and I, go ahead. Sorry. Or just, or just have the breakdowns and then you sure. get the release and move on. And <laughs> sure. Whatever. Well, and I think that there is that like element of if you, if you do believe that a, a balance, a balance exists, that you are always searching for something um, to kind of help go towards that balance, which is not a bad thing. But for me, I decided my energy needed to, to be diverted to a different area. So I, instead of trying to seek that balance, I understand that I'm not ever going to reach it. Like my personality type will probably never find a sense of balance. So for me, that energy is diverted towards, you know, other things that are of need at that moment. So it's, it is, I think it really is an individual thing is to understand like what you need in life and what propels you forward and what drives you because like finding balance does not drive me at all. I, I I I love that so much. Like I'm just like ooh, ooh. <laughs> so good. Okay, so you have a beautiful and strong presence on social media. Your mm. business does. You do, and your grid is it's stunning. It's just Thank absolutely you. beautiful. With all the moving pieces of a small business and life, mm. right? Motherhood, <laughs> marriage. How do you tackle the social media marketing that like that side of it? Yeah, great question. I. Uh, I think I currently am definitely in the middle of what is probably going to be a pivot for my social media. So as of, you know, the Melissa now and the Melissa in the in the recent past, like my social media strategy has very much revolved around trying to show up, you know, four, three or four times in my feed a week. I'm failing miserably at that, just FYI. Um, And then also trying to show up in stories because I think my stories have been a really powerful way for me to really, really connect with people online. I love your stories. Oh, thank you. I'm like, just going to pause you for a second. Like, I love them so much and I love seeing Matt and Rose so much. (laughs) Um, I'm also sometimes like... I feel like hot and panicky right? when I see what you're going through. I'm like, oh, right? oh with your remodel. But I, I, know. I love how you show up there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I think I think the design industry in and of itself can be a bit shrouded in mystery. And I think one of my great joys in life is to basically pull back the veil of and revealing like how, what things are like in reality. And, and I really have never wanted to as much as vulnerability kind of is scary for me and is hard for me as a personality type, like that is something that is really important for me to do online because home renovation is, it is a beast. It is a beast. <laughs> um, and it never goes as planned ever, ever. And that's true for client projects too. There's always some point of pivot. So back to your question about social media, there is there is some level of strategy there that, um, that I have tried to fulfill. I have always looked at social media as something that I didn't want to feel like another job. But as I, and actually it was, it was one of your recent podcasts, the one on the creatives, like hiring a creative is a must. Um, It really resonated with me because I think I've been so resistant to doing that for myself because I felt like I needed to control it and I it needed to be me. And Oho House has been so much a part of our house and our lives but I see that there needs to be eventually a pivot 
for the business. If the business is going to scale, there needs to be some sort of pivot. And I'm not completely sure what that looks like currently, whether that looks like a different handle that is all the design business and then I keep my current one, you know, like still figuring all of that out. But social media has been such a huge part of my success really and really my connection point with people and really a lot of encouragement happens there but there has also come with a lot of frustration you know there's there's not that is not to be discounted so it it can feel sometimes a little bit overwhelming right it can yeah and and I totally get like why some are hesitant to even get on there altogether and when we talk like real estate which a lot of our listeners are realtors not all small business owners and realtors mostly women and you're trying to start this business and you're trying to juggle all these things and then you think social media and tackling that that feels like such a beast yeah and then all these things they tell you to do on there and it can feel completely overwhelming and I get I do understand why um, you just kind of get paralyzed and you don't want to do it because you're yes. just not sure where to go. And I also, we've talked about on here too, how like imposter syndrome comes up yep. or um, viewing it as like more of like a competitive place to be or just not viewing it in a different way yeah. when really there's so much beauty and connecting with the community on there. Absolutely. There's just the flip side of it. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up because for us, it's been really incredible as well, like actually engaging and connecting and using it as yeah. this tool for connection. Yeah. Of course, it's a marketing tool, but using sure. it for so much more Yeah, is, is huge. Yeah. And I think, well, and especially, you know, I have I, you know, home design and real estate kind of in some ways go hand in hand. So there's there's a lot of parallels that I see some of the people that I follow who are, you know, realtors or real estate agents in the area using it to, as a way to document their personal lives, but also document the business work that they're doing. And I, I think having a good balance of both is truly the pathway to like allowing that connection point or like, you know, the way that some other people have done or, you know, bus bench has done like creating a niche for that, um, for those that to form that community. And I think that that's a really important piece of it is figuring out where your niche is. Because if, if I wasn't in, if I, if interior design didn't find me and I was talking about a whole different career on my Instagram. Like I think it, it it wouldn't play as well together. Yeah, really finding your your people. Yes. And finding your community and yes. It's it's it can be such a beautiful place really. And that sounds yeah. so cheesy. Yeah. But the reality is that exists in addition to the other stuff. Yeah. Sure. But it does exist on there. So sure. yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to know in your own words how you describe your interior design style. I love this question and I hate this question at the same time. Um but I think I really have very recently kind of put a like hammer nail in the coffin of like what is my design style and I would call it updated traditional um there is a lot of flexibility in that in that wheelhouse but basically what it means is that I love traditional interior design but with a fresh or modern sometimes application so yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, cool. I, I love it. I mean, it totally makes sense because your style is very unique. Thank it is you. unique, which that word's so overused. I'm sure in interior design, it's overused as well, unique. But yeah, uh, I, I love it. It's it's just so different. Like, I'm not really seeing that elsewhere. Yeah, it's in a good way. In yeah. a good way. Just in a good- <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, what are you doing? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> 
I do. You know, I do think that like updated traditional has a lot of varying applications. Like you could look at someone like an Amber Interiors and call her, you know, design updated or yeah, updated traditional because she does have a lot of traditional elements in her design. It is more modern leaning. Um, but then you can look at a designer like, um, you know, like Jean Stoffer, um, and her her design is very traditional in application, but she uses a lot of things like modern light fixtures to kind of freshen up the design. So there, there's a lot of like movement within that, which I find really powerful in that like I don't have to be pigeonholed into doing just one thing, but there's always there are always one or two cons- really consistent things in my project and uh, projects. And one of them is millwork, adding millwork to walls or ceilings. So and pretty. I love so a pretty. good tongue and as groove. A, as an owner of a 1909 home myself, yes. like the traditional piece of it, I'm like, oh, yes, it's so, it's gorgeous. It just feels, it feels like cozy and um, kind of, it, it, it's kind of a nod to like the interior design of yesteryear, but you know, but I also think that like doing it in a way that makes it feel so fresh is exactly what brings it to life in, you know, 2022. Okay. So with with your style, right? Yeah. That how do you take that and and help a client's like vision come to life? Yeah. Like what does that look like for you and or for them? Or how do you mesh it or take theirs? Or like what does that look like? Yeah. I so a lot of it is honestly fact finding. Um on the front end, even before they've hired me, and then a lot on the front end of after they've hired me, and then continually throughout the process because I don't, you know, most people can't necessarily identify like their immediate hates and loves right away. They need time to, or see it, they'll see it and they'll be like, I hate that. So on the front end of things, I definitely want to have that conversation with them about like, who inspires you? Like what spaces do you go into that feel inspirational? to even understand if we're a good fit to begin with. Um, And then after that, if they have decided to move forward, there is a a decent amount of time spent to fact-finding and understanding how they live. Because if I understand visually, aesthetically, where they want to head towards, then I can understand like the function of, we can start talking about the function of how they live. So do they need to have a surface when they watch TV? Do they want to put their feet up on a soft surface? Or in kitchen design, do they love drawers more than they love cabinet doors? Just things like simple things like that that inform the function. And then we basically set sort of a parameter, a visual parameter with where we're headed. Say like we're going for a natural and fresh, you know, updated traditional kind of look. And then every decision we made is within that specified wheelhouse. So everything kind of gets approved along the way. And there's also that trust building of like, I know at a certain point in every project, a client will sort of lose the final vision. They'll lose the trust that, or they'll lose the vision that things are going to turn out the way that we have been planning. And that's the point at which we say, here's the wheelhouse that we've been operating into. You have to trust that I know where we're headed and we're going to get there. And every time we do, but it is just, a, it is, it's just journey. It's a journey every single time. So that's, that is very much taking their wants for function and then translating those into visual application. Oh, I love that. So what would you say is your favorite thing about the job or mm. or the outcome or, or the client experience? Like, do you have something that you just love every single time? Yeah, I do. I, I think for me, a driver, 
in the business in, in, in and of itself is that I believe that homes are a crucially important thing in our lives. Um, and so I am always working towards crafting homes for people that make them feel safe and loved and exactly how they want to feel in their homes, which for most people is some, you know, either cozy or like an elevated casual or, you know, some level of that, that kind of genre. Um, that is my favorite thing to get to the final part of the project and for someone to be like, this feels exactly like how I wanted it to feel. Oh, I just got goosebumps. I know. That is oh. safe and loved exactly how it like, yeah. can, oh. I know that's, it's, you know, it's a little, HGTV has kind of played out that moment a little bit, but with every project, there's just a moment where you, the client sort of walks into the space and sees it as a whole, the sum of all these parts that you've been working so hard on. And they really just, you see this like, just like breath of relief almost. Like their home. Yes, exactly. exactly. I, would, I would cry. Do you cry? Oh, yeah. 100% cry. 100%. Yeah. Were you totally the photographer behind the camera crying at oh, weddings? Because I was like time. trying to focus. This needs to go on autofocus now because I, yeah. I, I, I have mascara <laughs> in my eyes. Yes. Yeah. Often. Oh yeah. I was like anytime I, especially if anyone, if I see anyone cry, like a mother of the bride or, oh. or my clients cry, I'm Grandpas, just like, oh, done. 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 Just done. Yeah. The grandpas, they would like, They're so always cute. give me, they are so cute. Oh. So kind of like taking turns a little bit here. And another thing that I just really, as a woman, as a mama, just find like so impactful, like seeing, seeing you share this and knowing you is you shared your fertility struggles mm-hmm. and the stress that's placed on your mental health, mm-hmm. your life, business, mm-hmm. uh, marriage. And in doing so, you have truly helped other women feel less alone. I can mm. vouch for that myself. Oh. Um, and through our recent losses, like really knowing that mm. I wasn't alone mm-hmm. was a huge piece for me because community did exist and mm-hmm. it was actually being spoken about. And it wasn't like so taboo to speak yeah. about. So I can't say enough, like I'm going to start crying here. Yeah. How much like um, just, just knowing that I wasn't alone and someone else had experienced, you know, something else was was really, I guess, powerful for me and less isolating. Mm-hmm. So when we look at, like, the majority of our listeners are women, and when we look at statistics, we know many of us share the same struggles. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hold some space for them and have you share your journey with us and what that's looked like for you. Sure, sure. And I I want to preface all of this by saying the – the reason why we can all, I feel like the reason why we can all talk about it more openly now is is because of people like you who are willing to hold space for this conversation because oh. it is it is such a thing that for women, it's so personal and there feels like a lot of shame and a lot of loneliness there yeah. that like it is having these conversations is so crucially important, um, especially if you're in the middle of it. But even if you're on the, you know, outside of it, because those things never leave you. They are they always don't. a part of you. It has, it will change you to your core. You know? Yes. So yes. thank you for having those, holding space for those conversations. So, um, my, <laughs> my infertility struggle. Well, okay. So let me start by saying this. We, you probably already did the math. Matt and I got married very, Matt's my husband. Matt and I got married very young. Um, I was 21. He was 22. We were clearly in no place, no place to have kids. Like we were kids ourselves. So 
we kind of joked and had like the 10 year plan of like, okay, we'll, we'll make the evaluation around when we hit 30. Like, do we want to be parents? Does that make sense? Well, my, you know, whatever biological inner clock started ticking right or it, it almost right around there. Um, and we decided like, yes, we would like to be parents. We're ready. Let's, let's do the thing. Um, so we pulled the proverbial goalie or sometimes actual goalie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, the healthcare, the way it was back then, I don't know if it is the way it is now, but the, the adage was to try naturally for a year. And if nothing happens for you, then that's when you sort of start to talk about infertility. Um, so we tried, we tried our darndest for a year and nothing happened for us. And um, I was always the person who had a really, like really regular cycle, like 25 days, last five days, you know, every single time since I was a teenager. And right around the time we started kind of trying naturally, that all, it went haywire. Like my cycle became super irregular, which, you know, talking to my doctor, she was like, it's probably stress. You're probably stressed about trying. You just need to kind of breathe and relax. Um, so easy, so, so easy when so you're trying. Easy. Yeah. It's like someone telling you to chill. It like does the opposite thing, but yeah, that's yeah. Neither here nor there. So we tried for a year and nothing happened for us. And so we went back to the doctor and they did their, you know, baseline testing and nothing showed up. So at that point we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility and they moved us to a fertility clinic. And I'm not sure if it's the same again. Um, but they always want to do basically, I think it's like day three testing where like they want to get you on day three of your cycle to test all of your hormone levels, et cetera. I never had a day three. Like my cycle at that point had gotten so irregular that like I wasn't even having a period at all. So I called them and told them they're like, yeah, that's probably not normal. So come on in, let's do some testing. And within, I think it was like 24 hours, we had gotten a call from the clinic saying you're hormone levels are showing that you are in menopause. And I was 31, I think, when I got that call. And that was out of nowhere. Like, you know, my mom had had some miscarriages between a couple miscarriages between myself and my brother. But other than that, we didn't have any sort of indication that getting pregnant was going to be an issue for us. So um, that was devastating. (laughs) We, because they couldn't, that testing didn't provide the level of detail to understand like where it was coming from. And we needed to, to understand what our fertility options were to understand what the cause of it was. We did some further testing, some genetic testing and found out I was a carrier for, um, a genetic mutation called fragile X. And what that does in women who are carriers is that it basically puts your body into premature menopause. So that was a foundational change in who I am as a human. I think like that day I became a new person. Um, And we entered the bulk of what I would probably call like our infertility years. Um, And that for us, the options were essentially to either have um, IVF with donor eggs, to do a surrogacy with donor eggs, or to adopt. And the idea of IVF for me was too much. Um, like mentally, I just couldn't get there. And I was, you know, with that information, my, <laughs> I was like not in a great place. And I think anyone who's been through infertility, like that's probably putting it lightly. Like it was devastating on a level that is hard to explain unless you've been there. 
So we decided to pursue adoption because that felt like to me that was the that was the outcome that I wanted. Um, and now on this side of things and understanding like some of the nuances of adoption, like I, I think we would still traverse that path again if I were, you know, 31 year old Melissa, but there were it was it found foundationally changed who I was. So we did enter into an adoption um, in the state of Minnesota. You have to go through an agency. So we went through um, an agency and went through all of their legwork of preparing you to adopt, which is a lot of um, essentially counseling and then some, you know, like visits to your home to make sure that you are a qualified parent um, or could be a qualified parent. And then very, very early on for us, the process was very um, idyllic, if you can call, (laughs) if you can call it that. We've had friends who have really gone through some really tough things with adoption. Um, so we we were very, very lucky and blessed to have had an easy road. And we ended up with our daughter, Rowan, who is three now. And her birth mom is probably one of the most generous, um, I mean, definitely one of the most generous, humble, kind people on the planet. And um, she gave us like the greatest gift of our lives. And that... Um, I will say as someone who is, you know, we don't know if our family is complete, to be totally frank with you. Um, but as someone who is sort of on the quote unquote other side of infertility, like there's still grief there, right? Like there's still even just seeing, you know, someone give birth on TV. And I, I know for you having, we both had very challenging entrances into mm-hmm. motherhood in very different ways. But seeing someone give birth on a TV show can send me into like, you know, a 48-hour spiral of just feeling like grief and shame and and all of that. And I think one of the ways that I have learned to deal with all of that is by talking about it because it being alone in those feelings is so brutal. It's, it's so, so brutal. isolating. It it's is. so isolating. It is. The that for for us, like and and it, it takes a lot to get there to talk about it. It does. Um, but through our recent losses, I like I I need to reach out to my friends. Like I need yeah. to build my community. And uh, it's it's not does it makes it I don't want to say easier, but it's yeah. less alone. It yes. feels less alone. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought up the grief just doesn't go away. Yeah. Um, because you know whether you're in it still the thick of you know, infertility or you're just dealing with um, like, you know, miscarriages and not sure where you're going, where that's going to go for you. Mm-hmm. It's such a hard place to be in that limbo or whether you're on the other side of just know I can't. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a really, really hard place to be if you're trying to do it alone. And mm-hmm. I I know so many women are yeah. and maybe not by choice. Sure. Um, but you just aren't sure how to reach out or, or who to talk to. And, yeah. and then those waves of grief come and you, you don't know how to place them or you don't know who, like where to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think even some of our, you know, most well-intentioned family members just couldn't understand. They yeah. had not traversed that road themselves. And that felt very isolating. Like when you, your normal support system doesn't feel like it, those aren't the people you can rely on to understand and to provide the right level of support you might need at that time or or say the right things. And people are, you know, people are going to say the wrong things. It's it's inevitable. Um, but having 
community or even just finding people who are just willing to sit there and listen to you say the ugly things that you're Mm -hmm. thinking in your head that no one else, you don't want to admit to anyone else. Yeah. Like just having people who will give space to that. That is, if you don't have that one person, like, like call me, honestly. Right, right. Yes. Call Call, me. Call us. Like call us because that is um, like I friends. I I don't know. I don't. I'm sorry. Like I don't know what to do, but I'm sorry. And yeah, like what can I do? You just listen. Yep. Just listen. Yep. And hold space for me. Yep. And that's truly why I wanted to have this conversation on here because I the space pieces mm-hmm. as I think we're like healing can can happen. Yeah. yeah. So I really really I'm so glad that you're willing to talk about this and share your story. Thank you for um, letting me. Yeah, I would I would love if you could share a little bit more about like the mental health piece of it, like sure. the impact of like that on you personally and in business and sure. you know the decision making to go, you know, into adoption and yeah. you know, and I also want to touch on the fact that you since since I have I've heard of like your adoption story, yeah. um, you have always spoken so highly of Rose, biological mom. Yeah. And it's there's so much beauty in that. Yeah. So I would just love it if you could touch a little bit more on those if you're willing to share. Sure. Sure. So I think um, you know, that that 2016 disastrous year of my life happened obviously before we had kids or um, you know, before we started a family. And that understanding that like there would be uh, things that happened in life that like I needed to have a business that didn't require me to be that main person. Um, And that was honestly the main driving force for shutting down my business, for shutting down my photography business and starting interior design because my photography business just would never scale. There was no scalability there. Interior design, I have grand huge plans about it, which we can talk about in a minute, but um, (laughs) I... That is a business that can scale and I want to scale because I want to be able to be the mom that shows up for dance recitals or soccer games or tennis matches or whatever um, and not the mom that has to be, you know, photographing a wedding on a Saturday or, you know, to working because no one else can do the job for me. So that I feel like those decisions were foundational to me even before becoming a mom, understanding that like that was the life I wanted to create and I had to get to a point in business where like that was going to be possible. Now, currently, you know, we're in the early years of OHO Interiors and there's many, many, (laughs) you know, there's, I haven't scaled yet. So there are things that I know I am currently missing out on um, that, will hopefully not be an issue in the future. But that is that is the ultimate goal. Um, the mental health piece of it, um, it has been, you know, something that I think even as recently as 2016, like we didn't talk about it the way that we talk about mental health as openly as we talk about it now. And I think I would not have been able to put that um, label on it at that time because I don't think I really realized it. But my mental health was like the thing that took a dive for me. And even showing up to perform my job meant that I had to, in photography, meant that I had to compartmentalize in a way that was not healthy. You know, you, you everyone has to do it on some level, right? We have to like operate in this world carrying burdens that are not appropriate to bring into the world in its current state, right? So like 
we all have to do it in some capacity, but the idea is if you compartmentalize that you eventually kind of go back to that and kind of like process and heal and and do what you need to do to kind of move through that. Um, I, my personality type did not necessarily allow me to go back to, <laughs> I put it in a box and I shoved it in the closet and I did not deal with I it. I will deal with you never, <laughs> yes. never, unless you force me to. 100%. <laughs> and I think my closet got very full and it forced me to deal with things. And it came out in ways that were not flattering, but were almost purely contained to my relationship with Matt right? Like he was the person who was going through this with me. He was the closest person to me. And it really, the load, the burden of dealing with who I was as someone who was not dealing with her mental health struggles landed on Matt. Um, and in, in a lot of ways that came out with, um, came out in, in postpartum, you know, I, I, I'm still struggling like to understand if I can call it postpartum, but like post-adoption depression, And it took me probably a solid six months to even acknowledge that I was going through some sort of depression and probably six months after that to do anything about it. And that, I think that comes from a lot of, of shame. Like, I think I felt a lot of shame. I think I felt like you, you should be happy for this. Like, this is everything you wished for. You, you should be so grateful and I felt nothing but grateful. Like I felt nothing that like what grateful felt like. And like those, those feelings can coexist too. Yes. Like it can be, I have Ro. Yes. And like, I have her, but yeah. I also, I, I like, I need some help. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was not in a place where I could acknowledge that. And I think everyone around me saw that people who are closest to us saw that and said, like, you need, you need to do something. Cause you are this, you have become an angry person. Like you are not, this is not the Melissa that we know. And I do think that there is an element to having been like fundamentally changed by infertility and going through that. But I, I was angry and I, there were times where to be completely frank with you, I have not really admitted this publicly, but like I was scared for Roe because like I felt like a terrible mom. Like I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't be a mom. And that is, you know. (laughs) <laughs> that is, the guilt is not that. normal no like the guilt well, with that too the, yeah the, that's it's more pressure for you and right. you just talking about when you had mentioned like not sure if you could say postpartum well i i i think you can i mean that's my opinion mm. but you're going through the sleepless nights yeah but whether or not you birthed her or not it's right. you're still experiencing that afterwards yeah so and everything else that comes with it yeah yeah i think one of my um, sort of not missions in life, but one of the things that I find really important for friends who are becoming first-time moms is to level with them and say, like, this is going to be really hard, but you're going to get through it. Like, because mm-hmm. I think I did not have a single friend, or if I did, I was not listening, so that could be part of it. But I I felt very alone in feeling like I'd have friends who came over and who were like, I love the newborn stage. It's my favorite. And I would do, it was all I could do not to just rage at them and kick them out of my house because I was so (laughs) miserable. But knowing now that everything really is a stage and everything really does pass and you will get through those things and you will get on the other side of it. And it may take a while, but you'll get there. But sometimes you just need a little help. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there should be, I mean, 
for all of us, I think we come from different backgrounds and understanding like where the shame level lies there. But I, I, I implore anyone who really is struggling with that entree into motherhood to seek out someone who can listen to you because there were dark thoughts that I had that I didn't share with anyone, including Matt. And I, I think that really held me back. I think it really helped like impeded my ability to heal and become the mom row needed me to be. So how did you go from that place to today? Yeah. Good, (laughs) good question. Um, I think acknowledging that I could not do that alone was a huge thing for me. Um, I tried very hard to sort of find fulfillment in being a mom because it was exactly what I had been looking for and working towards and hoping for for years. Um, But I think the acknowledgement that my personality type is fulfilled by not just being a mom, but also work. And knowing that about myself and knowing that like I couldn't just stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom, not that that is not worthy because like that is the hardest freaking job (laughs) in the world, but it wasn't meant for me. And I knew that I needed to have work that felt validating outside of the house. And once I started trying to find who I was as a mom in combination with all the other dreams I had in life, I feel like that's when everything started opening up for me. Um, Everything started to get lighter. Uh, I definitely should, I should have probably um, seen a professional, but I did not. Instead, I leaned on friends to really be that support system and that, you know, that therapy without having therapy. If I were to do it all again, I would march my own behind to the doctor's office and say, I need, I need you to refer me to someone. Um, I just was not capable of doing that myself at that time. So I love that you brought up, you have to find what works for you as a human and Mm -hmm. that identity. I don't want to say outside of motherhood, but within it, right? Your, your new identity. Like I always say like through, not back. Yes. And for me, like staying home with Kaya in the early days and then also that desire to take on some work yeah. and to find that balance, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of the in-between. But the guilt that comes with that, each decision you make, like I'm not a stay-at-home mom enough mm. or I'm not working enough or I'm not focusing on me enough. Yeah. And there's guilt and there's shame that goes with every piece of it. Yes. And just just recently, like we are looking at um, like schools for Kaya yeah. and releasing the fact that she would be gone for part of the day most days of the week. Yeah. The guilt of but I thought I was going to stay home with her. Mm, But mm -hmm. realizing my identity and who I am as a human, I can be a good mom and also be me and also like want things that, not say want things, but like want a career and want space. Yeah. And so I'm so glad you brought that up because it really, it goes on both sides of it or in Mm -hmm. the middle of it. And Mm -hmm. I've always kind of like felt like a ping pong with it. And I've never really found my place. I always kind of felt like not enough of one of the things. And so really now like that's like really trying to focus on like it's okay to be a mix of it or that like new identity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that there also is that there is something (laughs) 
There is just something biological, I think, that happens for moms that creates whatever. I I never in my life, never in my life struggled with anxiety before becoming a mom. Me neither. Right? Okay, let's just throw that out there. (laughs) What is that? Come on. Yeah. 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 And suddenly moving. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. And I think I I do think that there there is this there isn't unspoken expectation put on burden and expectation put on women to to be everything and to like you will you'll be the best mom you'll be the best worker or you'll be one or the other but like you know you have to be at excel at all of it and I think it's unreasonable but I also think that maybe for a lot of women and myself included that like there is there is not <laughs> there's not a day where I feel like I did a great job at being a mom and a great job at running my business. Like there is not a single day that has happened in three plus years. So knowing that like as she gets older, things get a little bit easier in some ways and more complicated in other ways. But knowing same with my business, it's going to get easier in some ways and worse in other ways. But like I know for myself that um, I can be both. Uh, I just might not feel like I'm excelling at both, but I am exactly the mom that Ro needs me to be because I have to, I have to believe that in my core, right? Like that is as much as I need validation from an external work source, like who I am at the core, like I have to, I have to be the mom she needs me to be, right? And she's thriving. Well, she's she's a little sassy. She's, she's amazing. (laughs) I mean, amazing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. And, she, and our both of our girls are three, so yeah. it's 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 an interesting road. It is yeah. high highs and low lows and everything in between. <laughs> okay, so we both have three year olds. Yes. Rose just a little bit older than Kaya, yeah. just a couple a few months. Yeah. And we're navigating this like mompreneurship life. Mm. Um and we've touched on like the balance sort of thing, but how like what did, how did that shift for you? How did that balance shift for you when you became a mom? Yeah, I think I think things that I didn't think would be important became really important to me. Um, and I, it, it maybe it shouldn't have been a surprise, but I had wanted to be like the, I wanted to give her the best of everything. I wanted to like have all of the, you know, all of the, the, um, natural wood birch toys. Oh, my and, hands up over here. Yeah. Like I have to go. All in. Yeah, yeah. I have to be 100% Montessori, 100% respectful parenting, 100%. And I think I, you know, there has been a lot of freedom and acknowledging that like, I can, I can, I can, I can be who I am, but also like still a t- like try for being um, a respectful parent. Don't. Let's, let's just, let's just sidebar here. Yes. Like respectful parenting is fine until you need to put on a snowsuit. Yeah. I would just like to say that <laughs> if you're living in a cold weather state, you know what I mean. That is all. Just going to leave that. So true. Oh, oh my uh, gosh. There's no rage. Like, like the getting a kid into a snowsuit rage. <laughs> um, yes. So I think we're in a season of life where there is a lot of time being deviated towards my business a lot of my energy but being able to show up for dinner almost every night is a really big priority for me being able to be there for her swim lessons on Saturday morning is a really big priority for me so those things come with like not working myself too late on Friday night that I wake up at you know (laughs) that waking up at 7 a.m to get to swim practice doesn't feel like a burden right so like those things happen and then also 
on a on a more macro level, like I wanted to create a business that allowed me to have the freedom to be the parent that I wanted to be to her as she grew older. And that means financially growing my business to a certain point. And that also means that from a um, you know team perspective, growing my team to a certain point so that I can deck out early, go pick her up from school, or I can do those things that feel like that makes me feel like I am fulfilling the role that I need to as a mom. So do you feel, um, does it excite you that you're creating a, a strong woman-owned business and that will show role that it can be different than the norm? Because for me, yeah. it's like a huge fill up. Yes. Yeah, it does. I think, you know, I, I grew up very much with a mom who was very ambitious and um, and very willing to be outspoken about her ambitions and I think that set me up for understanding that like I was capable of of anything and I want Rose to have the same I want her to feel like she is capable of anything and she is (laughs) who she is on the inside is someone who is built with a we call them executive leadership skills (laughs) maybe other people do but she is that that girl will conquer something or someone I don't know I said she will be she will go do big things and I don't want to be a part of stifling any of that even though that brings some some challenges um when we're you know arguing over who's gonna put the socks on in the morning or you know who's gonna cut the strawberries like that those are battles that you know my control freak does not want to battle with her control freak because I will lose every time yeah, just accepting that we're going to lose, right? Like, yes. <laughs> yes. But why, I, why are we battling anyways? Yeah, exactly. No, why do <laughs> I happened? even care? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I want her to to have that um that role model that I had because it it was foundational for me to do things that incited fear and do them anyway. I love that so much. Thanks. Okay. So what does an average day look like for you? Oh gosh. <laughs> There is, I honestly, there is no average day in interior design, but I try to, um, I try to kind of structure my day so that, you know, much like, much like batch recording podcasts, like I try to batch my days so that I'm not spending once every day driving 30 minutes to a client project. So I do try to one day a week, I try to kind of stack for site visits where I kind of pop around to different site visits as needed, talk to different contractors, one or two days a week, I try to set aside for actual office days to get actual work done, emails done, those those important things. And then the other days are kind of fluid depending on what project load is happening or what external things are happening. But most of the time, my days are spent running around to different sites, um, going to showrooms to source fabric or wallpaper or look at a new furniture line. And then a lot of my days are also spent just behind a computer designing, answering emails, working on elevations. Um, A lot of this job is very technical, so it requires a lot of detailed work. So then for like family life, are you home like most weekends? Do you try to carve those out for family time? Or I know you'd mentioned like dinner every night is super important to you to be home if you're able. Yeah. Yeah. Weekends. So one of the things of the photography business that you know, as I, I as I sort of had put a term limit on my photography business, weekends felt like I need to, th- that has to be a precious time. So as I was considering other avenues of like what I was going to do prior to settling on interior design, 
we had really considered opening a wedding venue. But I think the main thing that kind of held us back, other than, you know, sourcing $5 million to build. No big deal. (laughs) No big deal. Um, (laughs) Other than that minor thing was that like it would still require a lot of weekends. So weekends to me have always, especially since photography felt like such a holy, like a holy time where I want to preserve our time. And, you know, as we have moved into our house and started renovating, that's when the bulk of our renovation happens because we, you know, the bulk of the stuff that we do will happen on the weekend. So that is, it's family time. It is house time. It is really precious. And we don't, you know, it is a rare occasion when we will give that up. And Rose is like behind the scenes working too. I love it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) She is, you know, she, we went through a stage in time where she like would really be into like Paw Patrol or, you know, like watching, you know, whatever sort of blippy or, you know, like those kind of things. But now she just really wants to be involved and be helpful. So like she, if we can give her a job, if we can give her like, okay, Ro, I need you to hold on to this, you know, can of caulk and warm it up. Like she will snuggle that thing. Like it is her, you know, like her little stuffy and, you know, it's, yeah, she's, she's very helpful. I love it. We involved Kaya in our home remodel-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Ongoing disaster. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is here. It's a shit show. Um, but uh, she really wants to paint. Yes. And I feel terrified, right? Flutter a little bit, but that's mm-hmm. like when she sees that come out, and I'm like, of yeah. all the things, yeah. like really? Yeah. 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 Have, you, have you tackled that? Has yeah. Really tackled that. We have a, there was a point in time where we kind of, we would set out a tarp and we just gave her like a little, you know, artist paintbrush and just kind of let her paint walls that we were working on. Yeah. And she has now, that is now like something she wants to do every single time. So now it's like, okay, well, mom's got to, you know, mama has to paint the beams. So you can't get up on the scaffolding. So I'll just take care of it this time. Okay, Rowie. Okay, mama. Like, she's she's amendable if you can explain why she can't do something for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love it so much. Yeah. Okay. So something I'd love to hear your take on is what you would say to a mama who's afraid to start. Like, maybe she's afraid to make that career change or to jump all in. Maybe she's, like, in between. What would you say to her? Like, she's fearing, like, you know, that time or that space. Like, what would you say to her? You know, one of the best pieces of advice that I have ever sort of taken to heart on this. And it wasn't actually, it wasn't even really advice. It was just a friend saying this in relation to honestly to having another child (laughs) is that she said, we're doing it for our future selves. And that has stuck with me in like such a deep way that like when I'm doing things, like I'm doing it for the future Olens. Like I am, I'm doing it for future Melissa. Like these things that are painful at that time or scary at that time are temporary and I'm doing it for that future. So there are there are pieces that um, you know that that will hold people back. like the fear-based piece of things makes it really hard to kind of like leap and to do different things. But if you can think of I'm, I have to go through this momentary pain point to get to future Melissa's goals like, I think that makes it a little bit less scary, right? Or or for me, it did anyway. 
I, I would agree that that does. That's a really good way of looking at it. And it's it's so important to like live in the now, but the reality is if you can actually say, okay, what if I do this now? This is what this could look like. Yes. And what door does that open? Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Okay, so I want to know what does 2022 look like for you and your business? Mm-hmm. And what are you most excited about? Yeah, so this is this is news. <laughs> um, we We will be moving to Colorado in the fall. So that is going to be a wow large change for my business. Um, Matt took a new position that he is really thrilled about, and we are going to – it will bring us closer to family in Colorado. And I think the pandemic made it super clear to us that we needed to be close to family. So my business will move from wow. Minnesota. This is a huge announcement, it's Melissa. It's huge. I know. I know. It's – yeah. You heard it here first, right? Um <laughs> Yeah, it's uh so I have been really hesitant on doing anything permanent in Minnesota because of our temporary nature. Um so I have I really wanted to start basically an e-commerce side of arm of the business this year. Um and I think that is going to have to wait until we're, you know, boots on the ground basically in Colorado because it doesn't, you know, moving inventory is going to would be a massive pain. So I would still like to get e-commerce up and running in 2022. That's exciting. That's it is oh. very exciting. Um, but it also has impacted hiring. So I haven't wanted to hire anyone here and then have to rehire in Colorado. So right now I am at capacity from a work limited perspective <laughs> and just sort of counting down. I've I've basically shut off all of my um taking on new projects for now. Um to kind of give us some bandwidth because we all will have to renovate our kitchen and our family room <laughs> to uh, sell the house. And, you know, just a lot of different things, right? So hopefully, wow, 2022 will be a groundbreaking year for OHO Interiors and the OHOs. <laughs> so that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Oh, wow. Do you know where your land in Colorado? Have you decided? We we are looking for land uh, somewhere outside of Denver, but uh, before you head up Vail Mountain. So hopefully we can be, we're going to build a house, which is very exciting for me. I, we have wanted to do that together forever, but then hopefully we can be the stopover for all of our friends. Um, we're signing up. Yes, So please. if you could build that house really soon, okay, that'd be done. fantastic. <laughs> That's so exciting. Oh my goodness. Uh, yes, it is. Wow, 2022, here you come. I know, it's going to be big. Okay, so thank you so, so, so much for coming on the show and sharing your time with us. And thank I just you. love you so much. I love seeing your face too. I love you too. So it's been the best. I know. Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. So tell everyone where they can find you. Well, you can find lots of my uh, personal house mishaps and adventures and also detailing of my design business on um, at oho underscore house on instagram or you can find my design business it's a little more professional at oho interiors.com <laughs> i love it well so we just dove into so many things and i hope this uh episode is really uplifting for you too as much as it was for me so mm-hmm. until next time remember to keep your face off a bus bench and keep being the badass boss babe that you are Okay, girls, are you feeling as inspired as we are? We're over here cheering you on because you just finished another episode of the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. If you want more, 
head over to girlgetyourfaceoffabusbench.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. They mean the world to us and they're what keep us going. Girl, thanks for being here.